I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the Three Bonus Points Podcast with George Osborne and Ryan King. Hello and welcome to the Three Bonus Points Podcast, a new fantasy football podcast all about the Premier League with me, Ryan Keeney, and him, George Osborne. Hello, everyone. Hi, George. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. How's things with you, Ryan? Yeah, not too bad. I apologise now. Um, I've got a bit of a runny slash blocked nose, so um, if there's any sniffing or sneezing or anything at all. Um, try and move away from the microphone. That's it. I've got a very similar thing going on here. I do not understand how it is essentially August and I have a cold, but I'm just going to have to roll with it, Ryan. Uh, I just end up wearing shorts and T-shirts as much as possible in the summer, even when the weather doesn't um, deserve it or justify it, which is probably why I've ended up like this. This is it, but it's it's truly British, though, so I can appreciate that. This is true. Um, In the fantasy football world, I understand you've had a crack at the fantasy Premier League draft already. Yes, I had my first go at it at the weekend, um, along with this podcast. I also co-host a football manager podcast called the Deep Line Podcast, and a group of us, um, myself, my co-host, a a load of the listeners, uh, gave the draft a go on Sunday, and it it was pretty interesting. Who? Where were you in the draft? What position were you in the first round? So I think I was sixth. Um, okay. it was so I, I, it was kind of a strange place to be in, in the draft because there seemed to be about 14 or 15 of us in there. So it was pretty much about as big as you could get. And yep. what happened by being in that position is that I didn't get I mean I didn't get one of the sort of the premier picks I got got Gabriel Jesus who's a, obviously a good player but wouldn't necessarily be the sort of the Kaku or the Kane I was hoping for yeah and then by the time that I come around to another pick a lot of the sort of gold standard midfielders had also gone so that that was quite a tricky start but I've ended up with I think I've ended up with a pretty tidy side I've got quite a lot of uh, balance across it some good defensive options um, some relatively solid midfield picks and I think my front three it must be Jesus uh, Chicharito and goodness me I can't actually remember who my first striker was but I was pretty chuffed to get him that's for sure Good I I I think I looked at earlier you had a nice spread of defenders across the the big clubs that 
will get you clean sheets. Yeah, I managed to get um, um, Azpilicueta, Company, uh, Kolasinac, um, Damian and Matip. So I managed to pretty much get one, one of the defenders from almost all the top clubs. Where are the first two picks? Were the first picks Lukaku and Kane? So I think they were. I think the interesting thing was that Harry Kane, uh, the opposite the Spurs man, uh, was picked by an Arsenal supporter. So ah. that was that was a moment of controversy, especially when the mm. Arsenal supporter had been talking about how much he was going to go for Alexis Sanchez. So Ed, if you're listening, I've outed you here. <laughs> and um, what about Sergio Aguero? Because I imagine he is he's going to score points, but there's still a little bit of uncertainty. Where did he go? before you had a chance to pick or did you pass over him? I think I passed over him actually Hmm. Um, I ended up uh, my approach was I got myself a striker and then I got myself Courtois as well early in the draft because Uh. the logic was or at least this was my hope um, was that people were going to go for the strikers and the midfielders but that no one was going to start thinking about the defence of the goalkeeper until later I mean for understandable reasons of course but when you're talking about the fact that there were only you know a handful of goalkeepers who got over 15 clean sheets last season I was thinking let's go in early and get one of them because I think it you know it could it could just be that extra little edge it could yeah that's quite smart thinking actually because I hadn't even I, when I've played drafts before you kind of lock up goalkeepers per team so you're always guaranteed a first choice keeper yeah. but actually when you consider that you, yeah, you've got a locked on starting keepers that's good um, as listeners of the first show will know we're on to episode two um, we've made it onto the, the difficult second episode um, but with the season still more than a week away we're going to continue focusing on the big picture um, the actual squad selections for game week one can wait for another seven days for now we just want to make sure we've left no stone unturned in preparation um, as such we'll be focusing across four main topics on the show first of all Man- Manchester City and Pep Guardiola's abundance of attacking players just going to have a little discussion around the rotation there and, and how you, you should or try to deal with that um, we're going to look at the three promoted teams and who we expect to be the best point scorers amongst them, um, as well as new arrivals into the league. So that is the new signings arriving into the Premier League from abroad and how we can think about rating them. And finally, the reliable squad players, those guys that pick up two to four points, maybe even more per week on the ch- on ideally a cheap um, price to round out teams or, or come off the bench. OK, sound good by you, George? That sounds great to me. Lovely. Right, let's get cracking. Uh, Pep Guardiola has a lot of attacking options to play around with this season. He's got quite a few attackers in that Man City squad. Even if one or two of them leave between now and the end of the transfer window, predicting his start at 11 for the opening game of the season, it will be difficult. Is there a way you think, George, that you can not avoid missing out on those high-point scores in week one? Or should you be wary of rotation and, and maybe avoid Man City players to begin with? Well, I think rotation is going to be a problem with Manchester City throughout the entire season. And I think that's going to be a problem pretty much for one reason, which is that Pep Guardiola prefers smaller squads. Um, He's got quite a lot of track record talking about this. In August 2016, when he was doing some of his early press work for City, he was talking about the fact that he needed to have a slightly bigger squad than he would like for the Premier League due to the competitive demands of the league and also due to the fact that City had a lot of existing contracts that they couldn't wind down. But in general, he was preferring a smaller side. And I think it was um, Marty Perrinau, who's the author of a couple of books about Pep Guardiola, talked about Guardiola preferring a squad of about 20 players. And in particular, he's preferring multifunctional players who can fill multiple positions to, to provide some coherence. So an example at Bayern Munich was someone like Philipp Lahm. So he would slot in at right back, central midfield. I think he was spotted at one point when Pep was experimenting with 2-3-5. <laughs> he was spotted at one point playing on the right wing. So what happens is, in terms of to Guardiola's squad... 
to deal with so many games, especially you know in the Premier League where you're going to have to deal with the league, uh, the League Cup possibly, depending upon how far they go, the FA Cup, obviously the Champions League as well, plus all of the fixture pile-up that you're going to get over the festive period, the small squad is likely to lead to rotation. But there's something within Guardiola's methodology that I think you can take advantage of, which is essentially those multifunctional players it's looking into city squad and thinking about who has the most versatility and who's therefore most likely to stay good yeah that's quite interesting i, th- I think one of the the big things and you mentioned perhaps previous clubs is that at bayern and barca there was a lot there was quite a, quite a few games where the intensity in the final half an hour wasn't there that there probably is in the premier league and i, I want to avoid getting into best league in the world kind of chat here but Bayern and, and Barca had a habit of killing off games and being two or three nil up with uh, 65, 70 minutes gone and players would, it, w- it would be a bit pedestrian for the final half now whereas there aren't as many of those games there are, there are still those games and, and City will probably play better than they played last season and they will enjoy more of those comfortable victories but there will still be games where players are, are going full pelt for 90 minutes and then can't play the same number of, of games and make the same number of appearances as they did um, do you, when I did my first kind of first run at a squad on, on the Fantasy Premier League, I had Kevin De Bruyne in there. Yeah, um, I've since gone back and revisited, and, and he's slipped out. And I haven't actually got any City players other than Kyle Walker, yeah. who I think will, will be a first choice right back. Do you think? Are you going to? Are you going to plumb for any of those those versatile versatile players? I think De Bruyne, uh, who plays anywhere across the front, um, Bernardo Silva. Uh, similarly, is adaptable, and, and even Gabriel Jesus, uh, Gabriel. Yeah, I'm going with that pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> they, are they are they the three that you're thinking of when you say you want the versatile versatile players? That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I was taking a look. I think if I was going to rank the players who I think that managers should be looking for in terms of likelihood that they're going to play, De Bruyne is the number one pick. Um, last season, he appeared 33 times in the league. So he's actually one of the few players who seems to survive the rotation. And and simply that's because, well, one, his return. Um, he got six goals and 21 fantasy Premier League assists last season, which, interesting, one for you fans out there. You're slightly more likely to get fantasy football assists than you are to see real assists in the real world because it's a little more generous. So, you know, creative players are likely to get a couple more assists than they do in real life within the fantasy game. So always keep that in mind. But... The point with De Bruyne is that he's a central midfielder um, within some of Pep's shape, but can also shift across that front three when needed. So he's likely to be picked. David Silva as well, 31 appearances as well. He was playing mostly in the, I think it was the left central midfield, and he managed to get himself four goals and nine FPL assists last season. He's also a little bit cheaper at 8 million, but unlike De Bruyne, who's I think major threat in, in terms of players in central midfield who might replace him, who's, who's someone like Gundogan, who obviously struggles with injuries. Silva's threat comes from the other Silva. Um, from Bernardo Silva, who is a left footer and is essentially intended as a long-term replacement. So I think there's more chance of David Silva being rotated than Kevin De Bruyne. As for elsewhere, I think you've got to consider where players are least likely to be rotated within City's side. So for example, in goal, Edison has obviously been signed at great expense from Benfica, strongly likely that he's going to be the league keeper unless there is something like a catastrophic drop in form or injury you know I, I don't imagine mm. Bravo is going to be starting there and then in terms of other positions I also think it's worth looking at the centre-backs I mean Otamendi played I think he was the centre-back who played the most last year but I don't actually think Guardiola particularly rated him I think 
company will play regularly but will obviously have to miss games to maintain its fitness but I think Stones at 5.5 million within a defence that includes I think better quality fullbacks I think a slightly better goalkeeper and that's got the solidity of company next to him I think there's going to be a bit more value to be found there this year Interesting it's, I think it's also interesting with City that the their FDR or their fixture difficulty rating that the FPL put on, on things they've between now and the 1st of December uh, they have three games that are rated four or five, yep. and then the rest are, are the majority are twos. They've actually got only got five games that are three and above. The rest are ones and twos. That is, it's reasonably appealing as a, a fixture set between yeah. now and, and the halfway point, at least when they. I think they fa- they've got Spurs at home just before Christmas or or nine days before Christmas. Not so. Yeah, it, it, I think that's the the difficulty that there is. There will be points scored by the the city players you just want to be on the right ones you don't want somebody sitting on the bench while they rack up a 6-0 win exactly and i i I think you were mentioning as well um you know players across the front line who might be more likely to be picked i mean i think judging by how guardiola was leaning last season i think you want to be favoring jesus over aguero um, it seemed to be that towards the end of the season and in January when he was fit and fresh and had come straight into the side, it seemed to be that Guardiola preferred, I think, his his mobility and I think just generally his, his broader contribution to play. And I think in terms of City's wide attacking options, I think Leroy Sane looks like a slightly more reliable pick than Sterling will be this year. But that's, you know, it's questionable. Sterling did make a lot of appearances last year. I don't think people realise quite how often he ended up playing. So... There is still, I think, some chance for flexibility there. And I think there's still chance as well that the people who you might imagine to be rotated a lot might not be rotated as much as you're going to think. But I I reckon, you know, I think you'll shout about looking towards the 1st of December and then looking beyond that in terms of City's fixtures. I think that's going to be an important distinction for anyone trying to secure those valuable points. Mm. I, yeah, I, I, I already agree. The, the, the difficulty I have is I look through that City squad and... When you look at Raheem Sterling, kind of think, well, Sane is there and Sane will probably play, but then Sterling has got everything that, that Pep would want and Pep could get out of him. There's just there's, there's too many interesting players in that squad. Um, yeah. Do you think there will be? Do you think there'll be the same um, rotation policy at other the other main clubs? So I don't want to say contenders or, or big clubs, but so uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, or, or even Liverpool. Some of them are having European football where they didn't have last year. Do you think, uh, for example, Conte is going to rotate the pack as more than he did? I guess he's going to have to, isn't he? I think he's going to have to. I mean, I think if you look at the centre-back options, I think his decision to loan out Zuma and bring in Rudiger from Roma suggests that he wanted a player who was, who was readier for the first team and I think he was mm. going to be able to rotate in there. I think with Chelsea, they might have a potential problem in terms of their forwards and who they're actually going to be able to rotate because at the moment it's looking like Costa is obviously very much on the naughty list um, and Morata and Batshuayi look like in terms of pre-season as if they're going to be the starting pair. But with Pedro having picked up an injury during pre-season, Hazard obviously still injured as well, it might be the case that their rotation I don't know if they're going to rotate that much to begin with but it might become more of a factor later and then in terms of the rest of the sides I mean Mourinho was willing to ring the changes last year especially when they were chasing that Europa League victory so I think however well United are doing in Europe will be a factor and then I think you look at Liverpool uh, generally they perform better when they had that consistent front four 
that was a really effective last season. I think what will be interesting is to see the extent to which Salah just simply replaces uh, Adam Lallana within that lineup. Mm. Um, And I think as well, it will also come down to whether or not Coutinho stays. You know, if he decides to go, um, I think that Klopp will probably be trying to resist too much additional change to uh, deal with things. But I know that Sturridge seems to be coming back to fitness and I think Origi has performed quite well in pre-season. So there will be pressure, that's for sure. Hmm. There will also be pressure on the three promoted teams to start the season well so that they're not panicking come Christmas about their future in the Premier League. I think I've managed to uh, spin that around. Um, so we'll move on to the, the three promoted teams, as I've seamlessly linked to. Um, is there is there an immediate standout player amongst them that you think you've got to be on? I, I think it's actually quite difficult looking at the newly promoted teams. Um, that there, are, I think there are reasons why it's quite difficult to actually pick someone in particular that I would go for. I think, I mean, the the person who had looked as if he was going to be the standout pick amongst the newly promoted sides was going to be Anthony Knockhart. But I think there are doubts about whether he's going to be fit for the start of the season. And similarly, you know, I've heard from a Newcastle fan that Matt Ritchie's so far only provided 90 minutes of football, I think, so far in pre-season, right. which is, a, again, another problem. Because if you look at Ritchie in terms of set pieces, he's likely to be penalties, corners, and free kicks so he would be a standout pick in that sense but if he's not played particularly much you know that that's going to present a problem um and then there's you know Huddersfield who've actually had they've had a surprisingly large amount of turnover in terms of players I mean particularly new faces coming in I think it's a little bit trickier to predict their opening side although Aaron Moy I think looks quite tempting as well as a midfield option but there were a few players who I thought could stand out from each particular side I think for Brighton my pick would actually be their new keeper Matt Ryan Um, And the reason why I'm suggesting Matt Ryan is he's got the profile, I think, of a bit of a Tom Heaton for this season. Um, He's valued, I think, at 4.5 million at the start of the game. He's playing for a side who are defensively pretty good, but are probably likely to concede shots, which means that he will be racking up the save points. And I think generally when you're looking at people who are particularly gunning for an expensive goalkeeper like David De Gea, it's quite a nice option to have because I think he's very likely to start and I think that he's very likely to be a particular option for them. So, you know, he, he's one person who I'm sort of suggesting to look out for. Another one who I was going to save for the new signing section, but I, who I think I'm just going to bring in now because I think it's quite interesting. It's the Huddersfield forward uh, Steve Mounier. I think that's how it's pronounced. My French isn't that great. He's rated at 6 million and he joined from Montpellier, uh, from essentially the club he was with last season. He managed to get himself 14 goals and three assists in 2,830 minutes last season so that essentially means he scored or assisted on average once every two games so he's quite an interesting option in that sense and he's particularly interesting because Huddersfield actually have according to the season ticker according to the FPL fixture list one of the easiest starts of the season I think it's the third easiest in fact with Newcastle Southampton Leicester at home and Palace and West Ham away so that's one to consider And then in terms of Newcastle, I mean, I think Dwight Gale, in terms of how effective he was in the championship and how effective he was up front, is someone that obviously you can't really look beyond too much. Yeah, that I mean, reasonably comprehensive. Um, The the only parts I wanted to add on that was Dwight Dwight Gale, if Matt Ritchie is fit, I think think Matt Ritchie is key to to Newcastle. I think the the three main players they had last season, John Drusselvey, Matt Ritchie and Dwight Gale, are probably my headline makers from from that Newcastle side. But if Richie's not fit, then that 
will dis- diminish the service that Gale receives. Um, Huddersfield is all about Aaron Moy. Um, he t- took corners and free kicks as far as I'm aware, yeah. um, and and is likely to do so. Um, and then at Brighton, I do I did want to mention um, Pascal Gross that they've brought in yeah. um, from Germany, bec- only because I watched uh, this is um, obviously goes back to to the thorough levels of scouting I do. But when he he signed, I got sent. Uh, a video by one of the guys who works in the Opta Pro team um, of just all of his goals and, and a lot of them are set pieces. A lot he's involved in a lot of things, yeah. uh, crosses, assists, and, and chances created. So I, I quite fancy him. I I think knockout will be a big miss for them, but I, I also find, as you mentioned, um, Matt Ryan and maybe one of the the midfielders if you want cheap cheap options um, yeah. to grosser knockout because they will be playing to to wait teams out and hit them on the break. Yeah, I also think um, Dunk as well at Brighton, uh, the mm. defender, I think is another good option to consider because he's cheap. And I think Brighton, you know, they, they're going to be well organised in the Premier League. I'm not sure how many games they're going to win. I'm not particularly sure they're going to stay up. But actually Middlesbrough last season, you know, I know for a fact that Ben Gibson was one of actually a remarkably reliable point scorer for me, despite Middlesbrough's problem, because they did rack up the clean sheets. So it is worth considering that, you know, there may be teams who aren't going to pull up trees in the Premier League, but that doesn't mean their players won't deliver some value for fancy managers yeah. essentially i i imagine that is is very similar to um ashley williams at, at swansea particularly where he was always scoring 100 points a season yeah they weren't particularly winning many games and and he, he is not a big goal scorer he maybe gets one or two goals a season if that but he gets there will be clean sheets and there will be bonus points uh, that, that he will in games where they draw one one or nil nil. He will. They will be the players that get the bonus points. Exactly. Good. Um, moving on to other new arrivals and uh, those from shores beyond um, the British and Irish Isles. Uh, shall we say? I want to touch on on brand new players to the league. Um, this might be a slightly dull question, but is there anything that you do in particular to look at a new arrival from abroad? Do you just find that they're data from from elsewhere or do you spend a bit of time figuring out where they're going to settle into a new club and maybe compare them to who they're likely to replace i do tend to have uh, a little bit of method to it the first thing i'll do is i will look up how they've performed previously how they've performed elsewhere hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Uh, particularly where, how they were doing at their previous club, seeing what kind of, um, and particularly looking for things that are relevant towards fancy football fans. So, you know, for a goalkeeper, you're obviously looking towards clean sheets and you're looking towards saves. For defenders, clean sheets, but also particularly for fullbacks, for things like assists and the occasional goal. To midfielders, you know, it's assists and goals. And then when you're looking for strikers, you obviously want to see some assists, but it's looking towards how many times they're hitting the back of the net. That seems to be sort of one of the major things that I'm looking for. But beyond that, there are a couple of other things that I'm also on the lookout for. I like to see a bit of consistency. 
I like to see someone who's actually performed well for a number of seasons, as opposed to just having one particularly golden year, because, you know, it's one of those things where it's possible to have a very good season and then not repeat it again. And then, like you said, I like to think a little bit about how they're going to fit into the side that they're going into. Um, it's really important to think about that because you'll see a player who you may think is going to go and play in one particular place and they end up playing somewhere else. I mean, I know that Sanchez, for example, when he joined the league, you know, everyone was talking about him and being this player playing on the left, cutting in from the right. He's now, and particularly last season, was essentially Arsenal's centre forward. And I think, you know, that transition can make quite a difference to how they end up essentially scoring in, in mm. fancy football. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's quite interesting. And with Sanchez, do you think he's going to know well, if he stays, do you think he's going to have to slot in behind Lacazette and Lacazette will be leading the line? Well, that's that's precisely what I think is going to happen. I mean, I think if you're looking at Lacazette's record, he's, he's a proven goal scorer in terms of in the last three seasons in France when he was at Lyon, he managed to hit... 20 goals which I think was the first time a French striker had done that since the early 90s um, and I think with Erzlan Sanchez set to stay the obvious place for him to end up slotting into is to that leading it's essentially playing as a leading striker and then the question is going to be whether Arsenal are going to play essentially a 4-2-3-1 or if they're going to end up playing with uh, wing backs as they did towards the end of last season if it's the latter then he'll be playing alongside someone who could quite easily be Alexis Sanchez mm. uh, uh, in fact, yes, that is the right way around. I always just make sure I don't get latter and former confused. Whereas if it was the former, he would be playing as a lone striker. And I feel as if, judging a little bit from preseason, it might well be that he's being played as a two. So you may want to consider Lacazette and Sanchez together if you can afford it and if you fancy a bit of a punt at the start of the season because Arsenal's start is not that easy. Um, it's in fact considered the sixth hardest overall at the moment. So... You know, at 10.5 million, he's quite attractive, um, but his ownership's also nearly 20%. I think it was 18.3% when I checked him earlier. So he's quite a popular option too. So you've got to weigh up that tricky start against the fact that he does look as if he will get in the goals quite quickly. Mm. Is there anybody else that you you are going to just... Well, is there anybody you think is a secret that you're going to let our listeners in on? Well, I don't think it's so much of a, a, a secret, but I think it's one of his teammates uh, who is another new arrival who could have a really positive impact for fancy managers. I think, I believe, and I'm, I apologise for my Bosnian here, Sead Kalasinac, I believe. Sorry, that's absolutely dreadful. Um, so he's a full-back. Um, he's, in fact, a left-back. He made 24 appearances last year for Schalke, and he got himself five assists and three goals, and he was looking very dangerous against Benfica in the Emirates Cup. Um, he's a bit of a unit, so he's not your sort of typical, um, you know, relatively slightly slight full-back, perhaps. I think he's actually built a bit like a tank, but he's, he is definitely a creative force. You know, I mean, that return at Schalke means that he's likely to make an attacking, or he did make an attacking um, return every third game. And there's something else that is in Arsenal's favour that I don't think they perhaps get enough credit for. They managed to get 13 clean sheets last season as well. So if you're looking at someone who you want to have as an attacking fullback this season, he's priced at 6 million. His ownership is currently under 7%. And that means that as an option, he's going to be cheaper than Walker, Mendy and Alonso. So he could be someone that you really want to be looking at. Yeah, he is in... He was... He wasn't in my first wave, but he got added earlier today as I was playing around. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been all over that. Is there? What about the likes of uh, like Chicharito? I know you mentioned you picked him up in your draft, um, returning to the, the league. 
We see Chicharito, I think he scored 13 times last season for Leverkusen. So I think he's going to be a good option for West Ham. And I know that last season there was a particularly entertaining stat about Dimitri Payet still being one of the top creators in the Premier League. I think it was as late as March, despite the fact that he had left in January. Now, I don't know whether West Ham are going to have anyone who is quite as creative as Payet, but I think his potential partnerships with someone like Lanzini, who might be sitting behind him, Arnautovic, who looks like a good creative option... There, there is potentially quite good value there. And I think at 7.5 million, I think he's actually, no, sorry, 7 million. He is actually a very competitively priced player. But I think there's a couple of other people who I think people need to be considering in particular. Um, Murata at Chelsea is an interesting option. Um, I know that a lot of people have plumped for him because he had an excellent scoring record at Real last season. I think it was 27 and 52, which is pretty impressive considering he was a rotation option. But I'm a little bit cautious about him because that was his top scoring season by quite a long way. And only 15 of those obviously were recorded in the league. Partly that was due to the the team that he was playing around. You know, it's much more difficult to get into a side boasting the talent that Real Madrid has. But his record at Juventus in terms of goals wasn't that great. And I think at 10 million and 11.2% ownership, well, that sounds quite tempting. Batshuayi, who you mentioned in the previous podcast, he was impressive at the end of last season. He scored three in preseason. He's one and a half million cheaper, and at the moment only two percent own him. So you know, I'm 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 thinking about Morata and trying to think ahead for the listeners and asking the question of whether he's going to be worth it at least in the short term, and perhaps he might not be. I think, as you mentioned earlier, with Hazard and Pedro injured, you've got. A, a, I'm assuming that Batshuayi and Morata will, will be involved in the first game, if not both start. Yes, um, I think that's the, the interesting part. That's a nailed on yeah. one. Um, but there's there's two more two more players I'd like to quickly bring up as well, if that's what yeah, yeah. you're on. Um, so they're both obviously they're, they're both hailing from the Liverpool area. Well, they're not obviously themselves; they now live there. Um, <laughs> but the first one is Davy Clarsen. Um, who's over at Everton? Um, he's quite an interesting one in terms of his record. So he was he was Ajax captain, um, and he joined in the summer. And he's played a significant number of games for Ajax, considering he's only about twenty four. Um, he scored in every fourth game in his Ajax career, but was scoring every other game in his last two seasons from midfield. Um, so you know, I think there's even though he was admittedly performing in the Eredivisie and he was on penalties, that's nevertheless a pretty impressive return. Um, he also got nine assists in 33 appearances last year, so I think there's there's a real danger that the potential there. 7.5 million as well, so his price tag is very competitive, and his ownership's under three percent at the moment. I think the question is going to be where he plays. At the moment, I would expect that to be behind the striker, but it might change if Sigurdsson does arrive, so keep that in mind. And then lastly, I, I think Mo Salah at Liverpool looks like he could be an absolutely fantastic option this season. I mean, his price tag, £9 million is high, and his ownership is touching about 15%, which could put people off. But for Roma last year, he got 15 goals and 11 assists, um, and he had got 14 goals and 6 assists the season before, which is obviously pretty impressive. He scored 3-4 and four in pre-season. Um, the opening fixtures, Watford away and Palace at home, I believe, they are looking pretty attractive for an early start. And importantly, he's also got an 80% plus pass completion rate, which is an indicator that he's likely to be in bonus points contention because, you know, his ball retention is very good for a midfielder. So I think those would be the, the people that I'm looking out for. But if I was going to pick one to say that you really should be trying to squeeze into your team, I would probably go Salah at this moment in time. 
Good, he's in my side as well. I'm I'm scoring lots of points with you, George, which is excellent. This is good. If if everything goes as you tell me it will, then my team is off to a flyer. Exactly. Well, fingers, fingers crossed, because I think my team sounds quite similar to yours at the moment. So <laughs> we're either going <laughs> off to a flyer or we're both going down with the ship. Yeah, it won't be entirely competitive if we both have uh, the same lineups. That would be um, hilarious. Um, finally, and the, the final topic that we mentioned we'd talk about is um, are those re- reliable squad players so I say I, I say the challenge of, of players that average between three and four points per week ideally a cheap price um, and they're the players that fill outside so they're, they're not in the, the star star top five top six but they are the players that either fill out the teams or are in position one on the subs bench ready to, to come off and, and do a job when somebody gets mysteriously dropped um, how have you got on so it was an interesting one. I was looking at three to four points as an average, and there were a fair whack of players who were scoring three points on average a game. So I decided to push it up to above averaging four points a game. And if you want to check these kinds of things out, you can go onto the FPL site into the statistics section, and you've got all sorts of options that you can sort by. Um, so points per match is how I sorted this. And I just scrolled through until I found the last player who had an average of four points. Last season, 65 players ended up averaging four or more points per game in the fancy Premier League. There were a few players in there who probably shouldn't be, you know, so essentially sub goalkeepers like Sergio Romero, um, Emilio, Emiliano Martinez from Arsenal. Um, yeah. I think, in fact, Joel Pereira as well from Manchester United. They sneak in because they made so few appearances that their, their average points total was really high. But there was a bit of a pattern, I think, to the rest of the picks. And I think there's probably three things that have happened, um, or, or three categories, I guess I'll put them into. The first are like the elite options. So if you look into the top five, you know, you've got the likes of Kane, Hazard, Sanchez, average of 7.5, 6.9, 6.2. Um, you know, like those kinds of players are you know they're highly priced they're all above 10 million pounds but they are all going to be delivering you some sort of guaranteed returns they are players that are good at football exactly and you know you've got similar um picks like this like ericsson ali lukaku and the chelsea defenders from last year like alonso but the point is that those elite picks are either naturally expensive or have been made even more expensive as a result of their performance so alonso is now valued i think at seven million at the start of the game which is it's eye-wateringly expensive you know i think that's that's an option that really i would be very cautious about exercising um the second category are players who are value options who are still quite valuable but whose price has been starting to creep up a little bit so um the players who i'm thinking about there i'm thinking about someone like josh king who not only he was classified as a midfielder last year so he's had a couple of million bump to his price and he's also been moved out of midfield into the forward positions, which means, obviously, he's not going to be able to be quite as cost-effective as he was last year. And then you've got players like Zaha and Gilfie Sigurdsson, whose prices have just been pushed up by a couple of million, so putting them into the points where, I mean, Zaha at 7 million, I think, is still pretty handily priced. But someone like Sigurdsson, he's starting to reach the point where, you know, he might not be proving particularly cost-effective. But then there was a third category of player, and there weren't many players in this particular section. And and they were players who had either had a very low starting price last season and who even with a bump didn't really get much of, you know, a push into the higher echelons of pricing. Or they were players who actually, I think, really have gone under the radar. And I know you said find players who... um, 
aren't playing for the top sides. But I actually managed to find two players who were playing for top sides, who play quite regularly, who actually could prove quite valuable options. But before I go there, I'm, I'm going to make sure I follow oh, your recommendation. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to follow your recommendation first. And I think that the pick is Junior Stanislas. Now, he has injury problems. And last year, he had injury problems as well. You know, He only made 21 appearances due to injury. But in that time for Bournemouth, he scored himself seven goals. He got himself four assists. And he managed to, I think, grab himself 13 bonus points. So he was managing to actually get into the top 20 average points per match amongst all of those players. So even though, obviously, he had fewer games, mm. he still looked as if he was delivering value. And at six million, he's, he's still quite a bargain. I think, that's, I think that's really competitively priced. But the two players I, I, I want to talk to you about are players who actually have played fairly regularly for their teams in the past season and who could be potentially starting this season. So the first, and he's a little bit underrated because of the, the, the wealth of options they've got in midfield, Wijnaldum at Liverpool is actually a really interesting selection. Um, he was uh, well within sort of like the higher sort of average points. Last season, he got himself six goals and nine fancy Premier League assists, which um, I think, in fact, he got the most one of the most assists, I think, in terms of Liverpool's midfield options last year, which is pretty impressive considering he wasn't in that front strata. Um, mm. He also got a goal against Hertha Berlin in pre-season um, and at priced at 7 million. He's very likely to start for Liverpool. And I think what could be quite interesting is what would happen if Coutinho leaves you know there is a chance that he could get pushed forward um, and he could be pushed into that kind of position but there's also the risk that he could get pushed further back I know they did experiment with playing him a little bit deeper so a little bit of a risk there but then the other option is a Chelsea midfielder and it's Cesc Fabregas <laughs> um, and now that that sounds like you know a little bit mad um, you know especially when you're thinking about you know the idea that Kante and Bakayoko look as if they're going to you know, take up those two slots in the midfield. But Fabregas has, has played quite a lot in preseason. I think he got himself quite a delightful assist, actually, for, for one of Chelsea's goals in, in the build-up. There's a question mark about William behind the strikers. You know, is he as effective a creator as Hazard? And might they be willing to put Fabregas forward? And then there's just how he's actually performed in the last fantasy season. He got himself five goals and he got himself a pretty staggering 15 FPL assists last season for someone who's essentially a rotation option like that that's actually a really fantastic return and he's only priced at seven million so he's a little bit risky but i think if chelsea look as if they're going to be playing him you want to be really tracking him nice and early because he could be one of those players who could deliver an awful lot of value this season good good I'm almost having i'm not i'm not going to pick him but you have me almost convinced almost that convinced was... that's the yeah. key thing well but but one of the things that i'd say though is that um you know, those are my potential thoughts about these kinds of players. But hindsight is a beautiful thing. Yeah. What I'd say instead is it's more important about how to look at how to spot those players in advance. Yeah, how to how to grab them three weeks in. I like Wijnaldum was one of uh, the players I'd, I'd earmarked. I know I said I tried. Let's try to avoid top teams, but I think he he scored quite highly for Liverpool last season, and it was almost a, a replica of his, his Newcastle season. Yeah. Um, when he, he scored quite early there, um, Ryan Bertrand. Um, we we mentioned briefly on the first episode that Southampton have got a nice start to the season, fixture wise, um, and, and difficulty wise. That I will be Ryan Bertrand will stay in my squad. I think until the seventeenth of November when Southampton then start a run of fixtures with Liverpool, Everton, Man City, Bournemouth, Arsenal, Leicester, Chelsea. 
yeah. um, in them over Christmas. So I will, I'll be ditching him then. But but he is my pick. And um, there was one other. Oh yeah, and possibly um, West Bromwich Albion's Matt Phillips. Yes. Um, who has is injured at the moment and and may not be fit for the start of the season, but scored a lot of points last season um, with 115. Some of those came in a, a kind of a purple patch of form, um, and, and there was a, a decent run and, and with West Brom, but at the price that he is, so I think it, it's six million. That's not overly expensive for a midfielder. Um, I think he's, he's someone someone that doesn't necessarily need to be in the team every week, but could be a surprising uh, bounce if he comes off the bench when when somebody else has dropped and, and suddenly has five or six points to offer. Definitely, that's it. And I, I, I think if I was going to give as well some tips, if you're coming into the season, going, how do I find these players in advance? You know, how do I, how do I jump on bandwagons before everyone else is? Because I think this is one of the key things to being really successful in fantasy football is about thinking about these players who actually score points quite consistently and getting into them early, especially when they're they're quite low cost. And I, I'd say. There are a few things in particular that I was going to be suggesting that you do. I think the first one is to always take into account that just the, the, the vagaries of the FPL scoring system. So, you know, I mentioned it slightly earlier. Assists are given out slightly more easily for fantasy football purposes. So mm. you are slightly more likely to get an assist for a creative midfielder or a fullback or even, you know, creative strikers. So I think you've got to make sure, you know, that, that, that you're looking out for those options because they will actually deliver a slightly better return than you'd expect at the same time um, the easiest thing that you can do to to find yourself some extra points are to look at things like free kick penalty takers if you go to fantasy football scout they have a full list on their site of loads and loads of players who take free kicks penalties corners for each individual team and they order them by the, the likely taker so you know when i was talking about matt ritchie and looking at like newcastle's top pick that was essentially what what became very clear looking at that. So that's great. Um, in terms of looking for a player who's going to average over four points per game, I think one of the people, one, one of the positions that's actually more likely to do it than you'd think would be goalkeepers. Um, I know that people tend to look towards clean sheets only when it's coming to goalkeepers, but save points, um, which are generated every time a keeper makes three saves within a match, yeah. uh, they can be absolutely essential. You know, that's what made Tom Heaton essentially the, the, the top scoring goalkeeper last year. It's what had Pickford essentially as this wonderfully price player at Sunderland last time out and if you're thinking about options this year Tom Heaton at Burnley is a good shout again Matt Ryan who we mentioned earlier at Brighton looks like a good option Asmir Begovic as well at, at Bournemouth you know I think they're going to be both able to keep the old clean sheet but also sacrificing quite a lot of shots against their goal so I think he's going to be nicely busy and then lastly I think what you really need to do is just go and have a look at the bonus point system and how it works the easiest way to do it is look at an article on the FPL site by the scout who breaks down how in-game actions affect the calculation but the key thing is is that once you start learning how the bonus point system works you'll start understanding why certain players get more bonus points than others you know for example um, and I think the example that Scout uses really well, um, Christian Eriksen always ended up more likely to get bonus points than Delhi Ali last year because Delhi Ali kept failing take-ons, which lost him points. Whereas Eriksen, who is much more likely to focus on pass completion and on creation of big chances, which both really positively impact the bonus point system, helped him to grab more points. So what I'd say when keeping it in mind 
keep in account the FPL scoring system, look across for easy points, whether that's free kick or penalty takers and save points, and just remember that bonus point system. It can make a hell of a difference. Comprehensive. Which, thank, you. Um, thank you very much. Brings, brings us nicely <laughs> to the end of the uh, Three Bonus Points podcast. Lovely work, George. Oh, thank you very much. It's, it's always nice to be appreciated. And thank you very much, dear listener, for uh, listening in. Should you want to get in touch uh, with us to, especially after game week one, when all of these tips turn out to be terrible um, and Morata has scores four goals and nobody else has picked him, um, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, all with the same username, three, the number three, bonus PTS, three bonus points. Or you can email in show at threebonuspoints.com, although our spam filter does have a swear word kind of catch on there so um no swearing but do send us questions queries or suggestions for for future shows um please also get involved with the show's fantasy premier league mini league um it's pinned on on all the social networks i won't read out the code um because you can find it there until next week and the all-important game week one thank you ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Goodbye.